0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science. Providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element, with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. How are you going today, Jeff?
1: I am doing superb today.
0: <laughs> That's really so great happy to today, in. and it's
1: great to be with you.
0: Yes, yes. Thing, I I love that. I love. See, it's already going up so well. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself and sort of how you got into talking about financial aspects and families.
1: Well, it's, uh, I think all aspects of our life are related to our personal life. Um, my family, of course, is very important to me. And I've had the experience of having 12 children wow. and 36 grandchildren and so finances have been something that has have been very necessary to learn about. And so as a professor at Brigham Young University about 10 years ago, I switched from the study of work and family, balancing work and family, to family finance, to really look at what are the basic principles that can help families to survive and thrive both financially and relationally. And so it's just been a fantastic journey and I've I've uh, really enjoyed and learned a lot that I'm hopeful to share with you today oh that's
0: that's incredible I mean 12, 12 kids that's that's a lot that's a that's a big household for me
1: <laughs> it is I have to say that it's uh, uh my first spouse passed away and uh, I also married a widow so it's two families together to make the 12
0: oh wow uh, but
1: still we had to we had to raise them, feed them, clothe them, uh, pay for all their stuff in school. And uh, and so it was a real challenge, but one that I think I learned a lot of important uh, principles from.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm sure your, your kids would be glad to hear that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sort of to start off, we love to start off with a get to know the guest kind of aspect. Um, so just say the first Thing that comes to your head when you hear these keywords. Uh, so the first one is book.
1: Um, well, I'm getting older, so the first thing that comes to my head is the last book that I read, mm-hmm. which is the ruthless elimination of hurry.
0: Oh wow! What's is that a doc? Is it a series book or is it fiction or?
1: No, no, it's not a fiction. It is a kind of a self-help book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it because it teaches us that we make a lot of mistakes when we're in a hurry, mm-hmm. especially financial mistakes. And we need to learn not to make those impulse purchases. And we need to have, be patient and we need to talk over our purchases with our loved ones before we waste a lot of money. Mm,
0: yeah i can't relate to that because i'm single as a pringle right now so my finances i can spend money on whatever i want right now so
1: (laughs) (laughs) well even you should be patient (laughs) yes in your finances
0: (laughs) yes that definitely sounds like it um how about movie
1: oh movie is top gun i love the sequel Uh, of top gun that that came out it's just so exciting yeah um love it. it gets the the blood, go, uh, blood going, and I liked him because he's kind of older, and I'm getting older, and he has success, and so I like to think I can have success too.
0: Yes, I mean you're already you're already there in a in a lot of ways, <laughs> so that's great. Um, yeah, to, fun fact: I've actually seen top the Maverick version about four times. <laughs> So, really? Yeah, I've kept going and going and going.
1: <laughs> That's one. I, I I think you could never see that too many times. I love that show. No.
0: Yes, exactly. How about podcast?
1: Podcast. I am just, uh, as you can see, I'm a grandpa. You know, I have 36 grandchildren. So uh, to connect with them, and they're all over the United States. Mm-hmm. I created my own podcast for them. It's called Grandpa and grandma stories, bedtime stories, grandpa and grandma bedtime stories. And so I just love, uh, hopefully I'm teaching them important life lessons, just like you're trying to do on this podcast, but in a mini version with my grandkids. And so that's what comes to my mind because I'm recording those podcasts uh, every week.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible. Actually, that's such a great connection to to have with them.
1: It is interesting uh, with podcasts. You know, it's up on Apple Podcasts and all of those places. And it's not just my grandkids that are listening to it. Uh, in fact, there's been people in Australia listen to that uh, podcast.
0: Can we get, um, is there a, a name for the that we can sort yeah. of plug here?
1: Yeah, it's, well, I'm not doing it for others, but anybody yeah. can, can listen. It's for yeah. my grandkids. It is Grandpa and Grandma bedtime stories.
0: Okay, perfect. On
1: Apple Podcasts, and you'll get it.
0: All right, that sounds incredible. I might sneak a listen as well, see how it goes. (laughs) How about a famous role model?
1: My favorite role model is Fred Rogers. I don't know if you know him. He's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So he did that children's program, and there's a movie about him with Tom Hanks in it. But I just love him because he was so kind mm-hmm. and so nice with children. And I love children. I love uh, just the way they are and delightful. Mm-hmm. And and so as I see him, Fred Rogers, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I want to be just like him okay. with my grandkids.
0: That's great. That's such a great person to look up to. And um, how about... a popular course that you've
1: completed? Uh, A course that I've completed, it's called Fierce Intimacy Mm -hmm. by Terry Real. And it's about how to stand up for yourself with respect and love. So it's it's for couples. Mm -hmm. And the principles are just uh, helping any part of a couple relationship. But I've loved that course because the principles apply to talking about finances as well, uh, that, you know, we have to assert ourselves too many times in a marriage, maybe there's one who's dominant and another who's submissive, but no, we need to have equal partnership in our marriages. And this uh, this course that I went through teaches the person who doesn't stand up for themselves to stand up for themselves in love and, and respect.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's a great lesson to learn, actually. Thank Um, you. Yeah. So going into the topic here today, um, about starting with the definition of family finance, how would you see it defined as?
1: Family finance? Yes. I would define family finance as how a family uses its economic resources to thrive both financially and relationally so it's it's not just uh, personal finance it's not just how do you do a budget how can you invest how can you make the most money but it's how can you do those things in a way such that uh your your family thrives so that your relationships are are enhanced rather than destroyed you know Uh, In in marriage, at least in the U.S., the second leading cause of divorce is difficulty with finances. It's the the arguments and the conflict and the stress that's caused by finances. And so that's actually why I study family finance rather than personal finance. I want to interweave uh, the management of the money with how do you talk about it? How do you do it in such a way that, that you share that within your family so that your family is stronger because of the way you do finances? Mm-hmm.
0: And how, how would you separate it from personal to family?
1: Um, I would say that personal finance is a subset of family finance. Mm-hmm. So with family finance, I mean, as a field. So if you go into a book about personal finance, it will talk about how it's important to budget, how to manage debt, how to invest your money, and so forth. And and that's important for families as well. But family finances, when you go beyond that, to look at what predicts, as far as the way you manage your money, a, a marital satisfaction or a happy marriage. Um, how do you teach your children about finances? What are good practices that work as far as the rising generation so that when they're your age, you know, in a, an adult, they, uh, they they know what to do with their money? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you, uh, what's a process for uh, financial planning that enhances uh, the marital relationship, you know, uh things like that. So I would say they're not separate. I would just say family finance takes personal finance, but then adds a bunch bunch of family relational components to it
0: mm-hmm. and with with that, how is it so? Why is it so difficult for a lot of families to sort of have that in their head? I mean, a lot of books talk about, like you said, personal finance. It's something that you first think about, but you think about it as an individual person rather than right. a whole lot of them.
1: Well, I th- uh, this goes back to what, uh, some of the problems I think we're having in our society related to families. And that's that self-centeredness that we have. Mm-hmm. The way that finances work well in a couple is when there's equal partnership and when they're shared. And and so it's hard for people. Money is near and dear to people, and it's hard for them to share that with anyone, even with their spouse or even with their children in some regards. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the problems, one of the major problems is just self-centeredness, whereas family is uh, successful families based on trust, where you share your whole souls with others, and 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 especially your money you would share with each other. Um, the other major problem is a lack of impulse control, where people just want something, and so they get it without carefully considering the consequences of doing it, where they go into debt because they want something now and they can't be patient. Um, I tell my students, I I teach at Brigham Young University, and I teach about 1,500 students a year about uh, family finance, and I tell them uh, the principles for successfully managing your money are not hard to understand. I mean, they're not rocket science. They're simple. And if you follow those principles, Mm -hmm. uh, finances will not be that much of a challenge. But the problem is, we don't have that ability as a society to delay gratification, to save and sacrifice for something we want and mm-hmm. get it when we have the money instead yep. of get it, uh, buying it now and then having to pay horrendous in interest rates. Yep. And so uh, you know i I go off on a rant when people are on in so much debt, causes so much stress and it breaks up families. I mean, uh, there's just some principles that are important that can make managing your finances so much better.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. Um so we're talking about talking about the trends in finances and managing finance. How do you think that it's how, how do you think that it's changed after the sort of the COVID pandemic that went on? Has it improved or has it sort of impacted families a whole lot more.
1: Yes, yes, yes. All those things that you say. It's, <laughs> it's made things a lot worse. It's made things better. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, all of those things. I think that, um, and one of uh, the emphases that I have is is talking about money in your family. And the pandemic because it required really families to be locked up in their houses together. If you took the opportunity, you were talking a lot more to your family members, Mm -hmm. which could be really good. Unless every time you talk to your family members, you have an argument. And so then that could be really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in the, uh, I'm not sure exactly how things worked out in, in uh, Australia, but the government of the United States infused like $6 trillion into the economy, including giving thousands and thousands of dollars unearned to many, many people. And I think one of the problems with the pandemic is that young people who really didn't have that many economic needs were fed lots of money and they could just get things Without having to work for them that much, mm-hmm. yep. And and so I think that's a that's a problem. And of course, uh, all the inflation that's happening uh, is a difficulty as well. So and I think the the pandemic definitely uh, was a major factor in the situation that we have right now of lots of inflation. So that makes mm-hmm. things more difficult as well. Yeah. So.
0: We're going into like, I know talking about keep going with the whole trend of it all. Uh, We used to have like mainly one income households where the one parent would go to work, another parent would stay home. Now that sort of changed a little bit where it's like two incomes can work and two incomes can both be put into the household. How has that impacted families? Because I know when it comes to talking about, I mean, personally when I've sort of seen is that a lot of men don't usually talk about finances with the rest of their family. It's sort of something that they have on their own, a sort of a situation that they go through on their own. Has that changed now? Or is it still sort of something that is a struggle?
1: Uh, like all of these things, we're in the midst of a lot of changes, and mm-hmm. and it's changed a lot for a lot of people. Um, the research that we have done related to family finance shows clearly that the principle of equal partnership, where in uh, in a family, both spouses have equal access to the money is very important. And so even in a single earner home, the key is that there isn't the man controlling the finances. The key is that there's equal partnership with both spouses as far as, as how the money is spent, how it is allocated, and so forth. Um, uh, but more and more, uh, more and more, the trend that's that's unhelpful with family finances. And let me just backtrack just a second. The key to marital happiness is trust. Mm -hmm. And what can happen uh, when both partners work and they decide they're just going to have separate bank accounts is that that's kind of an indication that they don't trust each other. And so my research shows clearly that spouses that share bank accounts, that both of their names are on the cars. Uh, they share the ownership of the home. They share their finances as much as possible, that these, um, uh, these marriages are the ones that are successful as far as their finances and being able to talk about finances. Now, finances have been a taboo subject. You know, you don't, in polite company, you don't talk about sex. You don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so a lot of us haven't seen our parents talk about money. So it's difficult for us to do it, but we just have to do it. If we want money to be something that's that blesses our families.
0: Mm-hmm. So how important is it to have the conversations about money in the family?
1: It is how can I say, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's 100. Mm-hmm. It is exceptionally important to have those uh, things about money.
0: Okay, so talking a bit more about the importance of family in um, the conversation about money, um, you're saying that it's really, really important to have, it's detrimental to basically how a family would function. Who should be a part of those conversations?
1: Um, well, first of all the, the, uh, the marital system should be first mm-hmm. you know so uh, I'll just talk about a husband and wife. Uh, a husband and wife should talk about finances. Uh, I have um, I have a, a principle that when you... Use your financial resources for those things that you truly value, you will claim joy. And so a husband and wife who will talk about their dreams, dreams that can be facilitated by money, and then decide together that they're going to work for that dream, and then save and sacrifice and not go into debt uh, to achieve that dream, that, uh, that really brings the husband and wife together. Let's see, I remember being in Australia, a lot of people would go to Bali, right, for uh, trips or something. Yep, yep. You know, to, to let's say the husband and wife, we want to go to Bali, and so for two years, put away so much money per month, and you pay for that trip, and you go on that trip together, because you talked about it, because you shared that, and because you work together for it, it strengthens your very relationship. And that would not happen if you didn't have your finances in common and you didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it's very important when you have children to talk together about how you're going to uh, uh, work with your children. I think uh, that from a very early age, uh, uh, you should give your children the chance to have money and make decisions with that money. Um, I tell people that uh, uh, if you give a young child uh, f- finances that they can spend however they want, they'll make $5 mistakes, but they mm-hmm. will learn from those mistakes. Yep. But if you, wait, uh, if you wait until they're older, or they're 12 or something, they'll make $50 mistakes. And if you wait until they're teenagers, they'll make $500 mistakes. But if you take mm-hmm. care of them financially and never give them a chance to make mistakes, then when they're your age, they'll be making five thousand or fifty thousand dollar mistakes. Yep. And so, uh, so I think it's very important to uh, involve the children. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I would uh, on on my bedtime stories. I recorded a bedtime story about how my dad taught me uh, to work when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I wanted some baseball cards. And, uh, and he said, that's great, Jeff. These baseball cards cost 10 cents. Do you have 10 cents? And I said, no, you just buy them for me. And he said, no, I won't. But I will give you an opportunity to work for those baseball cards. And I'll give you a job. So he gave me a little job of taking out the trash and of making my bed. And he'd pay me a penny every day I did those. And while well, I still remember, 65 years later, I still remember going to that store with the money that I earned from making my bed and taking out the trash and buying those baseball cards. And mm-hmm. I think we need to do things like that with our, our children to teach them financial principles.
0: Yeah, for sure. So talking about the whole financial situation, If they're old enough, what ages would you prefer talking to your kids about the family financial situation?
1: Oh, good. Okay, Um, talking about the family financial situation, overall, it's important, there is a little bit of a boundary. It's important for our children to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So, um, I wouldn't share with the preschooler that we're about to go bankrupt or something like that. Yep. But I, I, I think in an age appropriate way, it's good to involve the children in, in finances. I had an experience with my own family where we lost the source of income. We lost the source of $750 a month that we had that we weren't going to have anymore. And so we just, it wasn't a life and death situation, but we just sat down all together and we made a list of things that we didn't absolutely have to have and how much we could save each money from those. And then everyone got to vote on the things that we wanted to cut out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I voted to cut out the cell phones, but no one else did. Yep. And I wanted to, this was before, this is when you actually had newspapers and I voted to keep the newspaper and everybody else voted to cancel the newspaper. (laughs) And, uh, and, but uh, we all, everybody got a say and it, Mm -hmm. it made us all feel good. And, and we came up with how we were going to cut out $750 a month out of our budget. And it was like, we all did it together and it brought us together. It was a hard thing to do, but it strengthened our relationships.
0: No, that's, that's really a nice way to sort of still keep a democracy in the house and still know right. that they have a way of changing things as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so basically, I think if you look at children's development, uh, they are very capable of handling money once they're about eight years old they can understand and i think as far as like a financial counsel or having everyone involved probably i would say after age eight um but you can start earlier than that individually uh with with helping young children learn how to save and and uh and work and so forth mm-hmm.
0: now i think it's really important i know that a lot of people get... Lost in a lot of kids, especially, get lost in. Okay, we have this money. I get my allowance each month, and they sort of know that they can rely on that. But I think it's really important as well for them to know the reality of this is something that the family is cutting out in order to give you. So just know that it's not going to keep being something. You're going to also have to learn to work for it yourself and. No, I think that's, I think that's a really great, great way. It's the way that I was taught as well, growing up, just, you have to earn everything that you get and, um, everything around the house. I think I was, I mean, similar to what your dad did, but you have to do the chores and you get paid by the chores and that kind of system. And it works, it works still to now. So it's a really good life skill also instilled.
1: Yeah. Well, look at you. You're a successful person and you've learned from your family uh, how to do that. Um, by the way, about allowances, uh, the research is, is ambivalent about allowances. Um, uh, it's, it is very important for children to have money that they think that they have control over so that they can have practice using money mm-hmm. and realize that they have to buy with their own money things that they want. Um. Uh, but, uh, uh, but you don't have to do that. In, in our home, what we did is we had some chores that you did because you're a member of the family. But then, if you wanted to earn money, there were other things that you could do to earn money. So that, you, uh, so that you realize that you do certain things just because you're a family member, and then there are other things that you can earn money for stuff that you want to uh, your own purposes
0: that that seems like a very very solid way of of teaching teaching kids to rely on family and to know that this is a family that everyone does plays their part so I think that's Mm -hmm. that's really important um so what are some common mistakes or some misconceptions that families make in relation to money conversations within the family
1: Mm -hmm. well I might say something that is uh, is n- that you might not hear a lot, but I think one of the big mistakes is that we talk negative about money too much. So I think family members start being afraid of money. Or when we talk about it, it's only in a negative way. And so I think that's a major mistake. I think that we should be very balanced and we should be as likely to talk positively about money situations as negatively. Just like I was talking about before, we should dream about things that that would bring us together as a family that money could help us with. And then together we should save and sacrifice until we have the resources that we need and, and have some really great experiences with the money. Um, I think that often we, uh, again, we just talk too negative. And so our children grow up and that uh, they're kind of afraid of money. Or uh, in a husband and wife, why you only talk about it if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so then you get defensive and so forth. So I would say that uh, as far as talking about money, that we are, we are more positive about uh, the good things that are are happening when we go through the budget, um, we don't have to zero in on the one category that we're spending too much. Mm-hmm. But we could say, "Oh, look at we were on budget in all these other areas, and we're overall we're on budget." Hey, let's celebrate! That's a good good thing rather than zero in. Oh, we spent uh, too much money on clothes this month or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really important. I. Th- growing up it definitely um I think talking about money negatively definitely made me scared of the whole idea of credit cards and credit and using money you don't have in order to pay for things that you want like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. and I think as I got older I realized how important they are how important a credit card can be if you use it correctly and that it's not right. such a it's not just a scary thing to use you're you're just using money you don't have for now but you can always put the money back in the minute that you you use it so yeah there is a big it used to be something that scared me so much that I didn't have one until I'm about I was about 23 so I think the last couple of years and it's definitely helped in sort of me knowing okay this is the money that I can have later on, but I'm just going to only use it for something that's really, really important or that's really financially that I need, not that I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I always tell people that credit cards are great as long as you pay them off every month. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't, I just looked at, in the U.S. anyway, it's like 25% interest now on uh, wow. balances on your credit card.
0: Yeah, that that is crazy. Yep. Uh, so, what obstacles do families face when sort of initiating the conversation on money?
1: Hmm. I I think uh, just as I I mentioned before, when you're talking about money, I think it's the the problem is the fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of having the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, one of the obstacles is uh, is to make sure you talk about money frequently and not just when there's a problem. So you um, uh, you're talking about it. It's a it, you just have to have a good topic of conversation. That money is just like talking about what you're going to do. And in fact, uh, my wife and I have a pattern of every week on Sunday, in fact, we're going to do that right after I record this, Mm -hmm. we go through our calendar and we see everything that we're going to do with our time during the week. And so we're on the same page and we we can plan out things. And then right after that, we pull up uh, our budget and we go through every transaction of the past week. And just so that we, and then we see where we are in our budget. So if we need to make a little course correction, we can. And uh, we do that every week, and so it's no big deal. And we 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 always know what's going on, and uh, we don't have a problem that way. Has it always been that way? No, but uh, but the more we've done it, the better it it has been.
0: No, I think that's great that's a great way of doing it. Um, so with the sort of obstacles that, that are faced when talking about it, how do you sort of cope with people who are, for example, spending too much or focusing Mm -hmm. on the, on the whole trend of like fast fashion and things like that. How do you have a conversation with that, with that person?
1: It, well, you're talking about in the family, right?
0: Yes, yes, in the family. Okay.
1: Because I'm not going to have a conversation with you about it. You can get whatever clothes you yeah. want. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you bring up something very, very important. In, in uh, marriage, in family finance, um, there's always a spender and there's always a saver. Mm-hmm. There's always someone who's more likely to spend, more comfortable with debt, and then there's there's a that's the spender, and then there's the saver who wants to avoid debt at all costs and is very frugal, mm-hmm. and that's the heart of most major arguments in family life. And you're asking me, how do you manage that? Okay, yes. this is how you manage it. Mm-hmm. You get you have a a big talk about the budget. You together work, uh, you take an inventory of your income coming in, and uh, you hash out a budget that you can both support. So that takes a little bit of time. Okay. Then, Instead of your spouse being the arbiter, it is the budget. The budget can tell you whether or not you can spend that for that trendy clothes at the expensive clothing store. If there's money in your clothing budget, then you can spend it. And the saver in your relationship can't say anything about it because it's in the budget. Yeah. But... If there's not money in the budget, then you can't buy it. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the spender can't say anything about it because it's just not in the budget. So the, the great way to negotiate between the spender and the saver is, is the budget. And it's to have a budget, it's mm-hmm. to keep track of the budget, and then to live within the budget. And it may be living within the budget, you're spending a little bit more than that saver who's so frugal wants to. But, but they agree to the budget, so it's okay. Likewise, maybe you're not spending as much as that spender would like to, but that spender can't say anything about it because it's in the budget. So I say the budget, having the plan for your spending and then agreeing to that plan and then living with it is the, is the way you handle that. Um now, one thing that helps things with the with the the spender, uh, a lot of times the saver you the, uh, the saver will get on and be upset with the spender for things that really don't matter uh, very much. And so there is something you can do as a as spouses in a marriage, and that is uh, to have... A certain amount per month, we call it mad money, a mm-hmm. certain amount per month that each spouse gets, uh, maybe in cash or in a separate bank account or something, that they can spend on whatever they want. And they don't have to, sh- you know, have a little bit of money, though the principle is yeah. to share everything, but have a little bit of money that you just spend that's off budget, that you don't have to account for. Mm -hmm. And that seems to resolve a lot of the small things that lead to arguments related to finances. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. No, that makes perfect sense. I was just going to ask that about having like the separate bank accounts and is that still a way? That seems like a really good – because you end up not fighting with the partner. You end up fighting with your own bank account. So I think that's
1: it. That's right. That's right. right. So I am a strong proponent of having a common bank account that uh, has most of the money in. That's yep. for mo- the most of the expenses, and then having separate accounts for for little things that are just your things that you want to to buy or something.
0: Okay, well that's that seems that seems fair enough. That seems like a good compromise, especially mm-hmm. if um, if you have two partners who are very temperamental and very stuck in their stuck in their own mindset without seeing the other. Person's point of view. I think that saves a lot of arguments. I, I would mm-hmm. assume so. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, what practices would you recommend related to finances in the family?
1: Hmm. Well, I think having uh, a regular time, at least once a week, where every week you talk about the finances. I think I so. Um, I have, a. I really encourage people that have a regular time each week. And like I said, my wife and I like to do it on Sunday where we, you have what's called a financial check-in. And so, uh, I mentioned part of that check-in is to look at all of your expenditures and, and how it lines up with the budget and how you're doing. But that's just part of it. Uh, The other thing would be to talk. It would be just to talk with each other about what you need or want uh, that you don't have. And talk about about things and to dream together and to to ask yourself, uh, what's really valuable? What could we do to strengthen our family? What's something we're not doing that we could do to strengthen our family? Um, I'll just tell you a little story with, with our blended family. Um, uh, my, my first wife and I had eight children and uh, Tammy, my wife now, and her husband before he passed away had four. And it was very difficult as we brought those families together to be uh, one, you know, it was lots of problems as we tried to blend those families. I mean, it's natural. It wasn't because anyone was a problem. It was just, it's hard to blend a family. And we decided that uh, we needed to go away somewhere and have a really great experience together that everyone would enjoy. And so uh, even though it was very, very expensive, uh, we decided to go to uh, Disneyland, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was an expensive proposition for so many people. And so we saved and saved and saved, but we, we decided to both do it, set aside so much per month until we could go and do it. And it was a, a fantastic experience. It was the first time that we really felt like a family. You know, it's hard to be upset at Disneyland, you know? So, yeah. uh Oh, uh, we were able to do it, and and so I'm saying in that financial check-in, it's uh, a good idea not just to do the budget, but also to talk about things, talk about your needs and wants, and uh, how they're not met. Uh, and so that's that's what I would say. Uh, have a financial check-in at least once a week. Once a week is probably a good amount. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's that sounds really. That's, I think that's really important. It's something that a lot of people overlook to make time for. So mm-hmm. it definitely sounds like something that is really lacking with a lot of families.
1: I think so, too. I think yeah. so, too. I think a lot of families, they're just not on the same page. And uh, and again, uh, lots of families struggle, but really the bottom line principle for economic, for the family, it will have two things. One is that you ha- uh, live within your means. You know, that you you don't spend more than you bring in. Mm-hmm. So that, that eliminates a lot of financial stress. Uh, and, and financial stress can be just toxic. The other principle is equal partnership in a marriage financially that both spouses have equal access to the resources of the whole family. It's not mine and yours, but it's ours. Mm-hmm. So you have both partners feel that they have equal access and feel that they can trust each other uh, with, with the money. And really there's a wide range of incomes where you can be happy if you will just follow that, uh, that principle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think you have to have a lot of money to be financially stable, but you don't need a lot of money. You need some. Yeah. <laughs> the, in fact, the research in the United States shows, you know, the research was called Can Money Buy Happiness? And what uh, what they found out for families is that the more money you had, the happier you were until you got to about twice the poverty level. So until you got in the United States about $60,000 a year, mm-hmm. the more money you had, the happier you were. But once you got to $60,000 a year, it didn't matter whether you're making 60000 or 200000 or a million dollars a year, happiness was the same. Yep. And so with as long as you're financially responsible, you're a wise financial steward that... Um, uh, you can live within your means at uh, at a level that most people with uh, most people can have that access access to that amount of income
0: yeah no I think it's it's really I mean like I said it's very something that is not talked about enough, especially when it comes to the whole family aspect. I mean when you have kids mm-hmm. and those kind of you we kids use parents a lot as role models. And especially if you don't yes. have those conversations, the kids don't know that you're not earning as much as you're spending. And I think right. growing up, that was a big thing for me as well. Like I, I wasn't taught a lot of the concepts of money because it wasn't something that was talked about when I was a kid up until I think around the last few years during lockdown, when I was living constantly around them at home, it was something yeah. that I definitely saw that we're not, it's, they're not like rich, rich. They're not spending, right. they're spending so much more than they're earning. And that was something that I didn't realize was the case up until recently. So it's been, um, I think the whole reality of it is really spun off into a fantasy. When you realize that, like we talked about, like the credit card, everything that you can spend on it, that's what you'll spend on it and you'll pay it back whenever you want. But it's not the case with a lot of families and that's, it's not the reality that kids realize later on. So yeah. yeah.
1: Very wise. You're a wise woman.
0: (laughs) Trying to be, trying. I have to be the adult in the family. It sounds like now. (laughs) Um, So going into some audience questions that we've collected for this podcast, um, how to encourage your spouse to talk about financial planning for your family?
1: I I say the bottom line is to be regular, have a regular time that you set it up. So we're going to talk about finances every Sunday at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just a regular time. It doesn't have to be awkward to say, "Oh, we need to talk about this." It's just something that you do every week. So having a regular time, and then, uh, as in everything in relationships, that you keep it positive. Uh, and and I'm not sure if you'll talk probably in some of your other podcasts, but basically the research shows that if you have five positives five positive interactions in your communication, then you can easily have a negative one and you both work together to fix that negative. But if all you talk about is the negative, then uh, you get defensive and you have lots of arguments. And so I would say the way to talk about your spouse is that you're going to set a time every week We're going to, every week for at least 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to talk about finances Mm -hmm. uh, at this day and time. And then when you talk about finances, don't just zero in on the negative, but also focus on the positive uh, and and surround that negative with the positive. And then you can work together uh, better on those things you do need to work on.
0: Mm -hmm. It sounds like such a hard habit to sort of keep going. And like, I think we get stuck in the whole laziness of like you, for example, you say you do it on a Sunday evening, having that um, mindset to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do and not get sidetracked, I think is, is mm-hmm. a big thing, especially in this day and age when everyone's rushing to go everywhere.
1: Right. And that's why my favorite book was uh, the Relentless Elimination of Hurry.
0: Yes. <laughs> definitely sounds like it's teaching it's teaching a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and, but if you can uh, connect it with something that's regular mm-hmm. uh it it works a lot better like uh well i don't know a lot of times people don't eat together either yeah uh, yeah um and it would be uh, and actually, talking about finances when you're fresh is better than when you're tired, which is why I like to do it on Sunday, because Sunday for us is a more relaxing day. And, uh, and so, but it is a challenge. I'm not going to say it's not a challenge for people, but uh, like I tell my classes, life is hard, but you can do hard things. And so, uh, you know, it might be hard to do, but what's the alternative? You just need to do it.
0: Yeah. I guess it takes a lot of discipline. So that's something that a lot of family, it's like going to the gym, for example, like the discipline to keep going, to keep at it. And this is just another thing to, to discipline yourself to do. Mm -hmm. So what is importance of having a financial plan?
1: Okay. Uh, Have you ever heard of the law of entropy? The law of entropy is that things move from order to disorder. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have a plan, you're going to have disorderly finances, which will lead to stress and anger and arguments. Mm -hmm. And so you need to have a financial plan. There's the tactical plan, which is the budget. And the budget is simply giving every dollar a name. You have dollars in Australia, right? Yeah, dollar. giving every Australian dollar a name so you know where you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like I said, when you use your money for those things you truly value, you will claim joy. I want to tell you something else, though. When you fritter away your money for things you don't truly value, Mm -hmm. you'll claim frustration. And if you fritter away your money that you don't have, go needlessly into debt for thong- things that you don't really need, mm-hmm. you're just dumb. You're going to have a hard, you're, it's going to be a hard thing. Yeah. So uh, uh, the tactical financial plan allows you to allocate money to things that you truly value so that you'll claim joy instead of frustration. Uh, your long-term financial plan builds up a reserve. Uh, so, well, ultimately, it provides uh, enough money so that when you're your, my age, you can retire, and you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to worry about things. But a uh, long-term financial plan, you build your emergency fund and you build up investments, and so then you have a cushion, so that when hard times might come for your finances, you don't have to stress. Mm-hmm. They just become an inconvenience, those hard times, because you have additional resources that you have saved. And so um, uh, so those two plans, the long-term financial plan uh, eliminates per- potential stress when they're laying off people at your work. You know that even if you get laid off, have these reserves so you don't have to worry about it Mm -hmm. and then your tactical plan enables you to allocate your money for the things that you truly value so that you can claim joy instead of frustration with your finances
0: okay um so how how do i say this how do you sort of have children paying rent is it something that you would recommend at a certain age, or is it something that is not necessarily needed?
1: Okay. <laughs> that is a, a question <laughs> that I'm thoroughly familiar with uh, because I have 12 children that are all adults, okay? Yep. So a question you have to ask yourself to answer this question is, do you want to raise your children to be adults or do you want to keep them children? Mm-hmm. And what does an adult do? An adult pays their own way. They don't have their parents doing things. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to full uh, charge your children full, if they come back to live when they're older, full market value of your, wherever they're living. Yep. But... Um, but they need to realize that their place is to be independent out of your house as full-fledged adults. And a way to do that is to charge them rent. Uh, in our uh, in our family, uh, and this is just what we do. I don't say that this is good for everyone. But we had 12 children. We can't have 12 children living with us all of the time. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we told our children that when they finished what's high school in the United States, we would pay for one year of their of, of an apartment outside of the home, and then they were to be responsible for themselves the rest of their lives. So they had to figure out, they left the home. We gave them some resources to enable them to live away from us. And then it was their responsibility. And the way it is, what we've done with them in the past, is sometimes it makes sense for them to come home. And of course, they can always come home for a couple of weeks or a month or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if they're going to be there longer than that, uh, they need to pay uh, rent. And what we actually have done a couple of times, uh, like a couple has come and uh, needed a place to stay. So they live with us for a year. They pay us rent. And what we've done a couple of times is after they moved out, we gave them the money that they paid to us in rent to help with their down payment on buying a house. And so yeah. they, uh, it was, it, it wasn't like we were making money off of them, but we were teaching them the discipline that, you know, if you want to live somewhere, you're going to have to pay for it. And uh, a lot of times older kids are very resourceful. They'll figure out how to do it. And, uh, and so anyway, I would say to answer the question that it's usually good if it's an adult child coming back to live with you mm-hmm. to, uh, to figure out a good amount of rent for them to pay so that yeah. they have skin in the game and it's just not too comfortable to just stay with mom and dad forever.
0: I think, I think that's a really good life lesson as well. Something that I wish I got taught earlier in life, but no, I think (laughs) it's really good. Um, so do women, are women obligated to spend money in the family and share expenses with the husband? I think this is a more cultural aspect
1: though. Well, I, uh, number one. Is I think any way that um, husband and wife work it out that they're both okay with, mm-hmm. is is okay with me. I'm not going to argue with a a a, a spouse, a, a husband and wife who figure out the way that they're going to do it and they're both okay with it. It's okay. But I think that uh, the research shows that I've done anyway that it's uh, best to have shared finances where both parties contribute what they can. Uh, And uh, and so what I would say is, let's take an example of a traditional home where there's a stay-at-home mom and a working husband. Uh, In that situation, they should both have names on the bank account and the stay-at-home mom should have just as much a right to spend that money that's in that shared bank account as the husband does, even though he was the one that brought the money in. Mm -hmm. Uh, If uh, Let's say that there's a mismatch. They're both employed, but there's a mismatch. Uh, Let's say the wife makes $100,000 and the husband makes $50,000. Then uh, they should combine that and put that money in the family checking account and maybe have an equal amount for each of them in their own separate accounts, but it shouldn't be. it's, it's the feeling shouldn't be I earned it, so it's my money. The feeling if you're uh, equal partnership in marriage, that I earn the money and I'm contributing it to the family, and my spouse is also going to earn money and contribute to the family, and it doesn't matter whether I earn more or less than my spouse. We're both going to have equal access to it. So. That's uh, what I think is uh, the ideal uh, for finances being a positive is that you can trust each other and that you're equal partners in your finances, which Mm -hmm. mean that you're equal ownership of your major things like your cars and your house. You both have access to the checking account or whatever, the bank account where you you spend money on the family. uh, And... And you're on the same page in that you've both worked together to develop a budget that you're both going to live by mm-hmm. and uh, so forth and so on, and that you're truly equal partners.
0: Okay. So how do you have the conversation of money management in a new partnership or new marriage?
1: First of all, you talk about it before you get married.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: that's how you do it mm-hmm. you talk about it before you get married and um i always tell people that before they get officially engaged that they need to talk about money very frankly you need to disclose debts that you have to each other uh, you need to find out what your attitude is about debt uh, what credit cards your net worth uh, you should just, you should start at that point. And it might be very uncomfortable when you first do it, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. Mm-hmm. So the key is to start early, even before you get married. I would say a couple should develop their budget. Uh, their their The first month after they're married, they should have developed that budget ahead of time, and they should already decide... Hey, this is what we ought to to do. Uh, I I I'm starting to do like a class on uh, on money management for uh, newlyweds, and uh, you just have to get them started. The earlier you do it, the better. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to it's really easy not to do that, to be afraid of talking about it, and you'll get by with it for a while. But man, when, when you have kids, they are very expensive and you have to be on the same page with where the money's coming from, uh, to pay for them. And, yeah. uh, anyway, that's, uh, but lots of people don't want to do it, but, but, uh, it's just something that needs to be done. And, um, that's where I like this, that, uh, class I talked about, Fierce Intimacy, uh, in with money, you have to be able to speak up for yourself, but in a kind way, not in a belittling way or in a superiority way that your way is the best. You have to be able to speak up for what you believe and then hear what your spouse believes and then figure something out that you can both support, even though it isn't exactly like either one of you want. That's just a general principle of marriage. It's not just finances. It's about everything. We need to be able to have that ability to negotiate.
0: No, Yeah, I definitely agree. And I definitely agree that it should be spoken about before marriage. I think you jump in and you realize someone's finances that you're stuck with basically for a very long time. That's (laughs) the recipe for disaster right there. That's
1: right.
0: Um, So this is the last part of the segment that we like to call Open Mic, just giving you a chance to talk about Anything that you feel is it can be related or not related to the topic? Any new ventures that you're going out for? Any new research that you're looking into? Or anything they want to share with the audience?
1: Okay. Uh, what I am passionate about is family relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm passionate about making choices where you prioritize your family relationships over other activities in your life. I don't believe that on the deathbed, anyone will say, oh, I wished I had worked harder at work or I wish that I had invested better. They'll wonder what on their deathbed, what will make life worth living are the family relationships that have been developed Over the years, and so I am passionate of figuring out the best way that we can uh, to develop those relationships. And what what is the what is the uh, what is it for relationships? It's giving your resources to those relationships. It's using your time to build your relationship. It's using your money to facilitate activities that you know will build your relationships. And so that's really uh, what I'm passionate about. As I mentioned, you know, we've got 12 kids. We have 36 children that are scattered all over the United States. And I could moan about, oh, I don't have time to visit with them all. Uh, How can I go to New Jersey one week and Texas another week and New Mexico another week? But I think each of us, if we will listen to that voice within, mm-hmm. can find ways to connect with our children. Everyone can. And it's the ways that we do it are different for everyone. For me, I have thoroughly got been passionate and excited about this podcast that I'm doing, trying to teach uh, my grandchildren uh, principles that will help them in their lives. And I love when I look on uh, the stats for my podcast and I see in all the cities that my grandchildren are living that they're listening to what I my stories over and over again, it makes me feel so, so happy.
0: Yeah, no, that's and, incredible. Uh, <laughs> that's actually probably one of my favorite things that I've ever heard a guest talk about. And <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: So anyway, it's, my wife is, and I'll just say I'm passionate about my wife. My wife, Tammy Hill, uh, I'll just do a shout out to her. Uh, She has an Instagram with thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. That's called Tammy underscore Hill underscore L M F T. And she is a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's, her, her passion is to, healthy sexuality within marriage and I give a shout out to to her and then I have an Instagram I'm going to be retiring I'm going to take this Instagram with me and it's called joyfully within your means so it's about finances joyfully within your means so anyway it's been delightful to be with you you're a very skilled podcast podcast host <laughs> and I wish you well in your endeavors
0: no yeah Thank you so much for, um, for joining me today. Uh, if, if a audience member would like to get in touch with you, is there a way that they can? I mean, I know you mentioned that you're retiring soon, but for now, is there a way that...
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, it's, uh, and I think I'll keep this email address, but jeff underscore hill at byu.edu. So BYU stands for Brigham Young University, and EDU is means it's a university. But I think as a retiree, I get to keep that email.
0: Okay, well that's great. I'll definitely uh, we'll definitely have that below for all the guests, uh, all audience members to have a look at, and definitely yeah, keep in touch for sure. Uh, Yeah, so thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on today. It's actually been such a joy talking with you. It's one probably one of the easiest podcast recordings I've done so far. Um, in terms of communication, so yeah, that's thank you so much for that and for being an amazing guest.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and I absolutely love Australia. I did a sabbatical <laughs> down there, and and uh, Australia is a wonderful place. Okay, well, it's good to see you then.
0: Yeah, you well, too. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights podcast, produced by Family Science Labs a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. Mm -hmm. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.